With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part podcast series, I'm joined by Don Stern. Don is the Managing Director of Corporate Monitoring and Consulting Services at Affiliated Monitors. Don is a well-known white-collar corporate defense lawyer. He was previously the United States Attorney for the District of Massachusetts, has been a lecturer at Harvard, and has worked at several law firms before coming over to Affiliated Monitors. In this five-part podcast series, we consider the benefits of independent monitoring and proactive assessments for defense attorneys. In episode one, we take a look at how defense attorneys can proactively work with independent monitors. Two, what are the nuts and bolts? How does this thing work? Three, couple of case studies of defense counsel who've engaged a monitor to mitigate internal issues before going to a regulator. Number four, how this works in a medical setting. And in episode five, we conclude by how this works in the nonprofit setting, specifically looking at some issues around varsity blues. It's a fascinating series that I know you will enjoy as a compliance special. This special five-part series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our final episode of a five-part exploration of the benefits of independent monitoring and proactive assessments for defense attorneys. As always, I'm joined by Don Stern. Don's the Managing Director of Corporate Monitoring and Consulting Services at Affiliated Monitors. In this fifth and concluding episode, we're going to take a look at how a third-party independent would work in a nonprofit space and perhaps even uh, in some of the education cases that are prominently in the news right now. So, Don, uh, welcome back. Thanks very much, Tom. So, Don, um, the nonprofit, many people break the world into profit and nonprofit, and perhaps that's a legitimate uh, dichotomy. But for in terms of a, a third-party independent coming in to assess a compliance program, are the uh, strategies and techniques the same, or are they different working with a defense counsel? Well, I think the strategy and the techniques are, are, are similar, but there are, there are some, some differences. And let me just say I think that the whole nonprofit arena, um, whether it's educational institutions or other settings, is, is I think going to be 
um, the next frontier, if I can call it that, for federal, for federal, state, and local regulators and prosecutors. I think there are. I think they see that there's a, a landscape of potential abuse out there. So I think we're going to see in the coming years much, much more activity. We've already seen some of it. I know we'll talk about that in, in a second. But in my experience, uh, both you know, as a prosecutor, defense lawyer, and now doing compliance work, there are some differences. You know, one is um, nonprofits have less money than large corporations. So they, they, they are less apt to have a well-developed uh, compliance program. Um, but the other reason, and, and, and this is hard to, to kind of ex- say exactly right, um, I think nonprofits view themselves because they don't have the profit motive as less susceptible to fraud and abuse than uh, companies. I think companies have been hit over the head enough by SEC complaints and filings and Department of Justice investigations and the like. There's been less um, activity for, against nonprofits. So they, they sort of wear the white hat and they, they don't see the need in quite the same way for a compliance program. The third thing is that <clears throat> you know a lot of nonprofits, particularly universities, are very siloed. Um, you know, they, they, this one school operates independently from the other school and, you know, uh, the uh, research and development part of the, of the university works differently from the, from this part. And so you see that sometimes in corporations, but corporations are, are really more tightly managed. And part of it is, you, you know, universities and nonprofits are, 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 if we're talking about universities, have this notion of academic freedom, which is very important. So if you're a, you know, you're working in a pharmaceutical company and you're running the research and development program for, you know, you, you don't have a, you're not thinking of academic freedom. But if you do the similar kind of work for a university, um, you know, you, you are, almost a siloed from the rest of the university in, in many respects. So all of these things create a, a culture where um, centralized compliance uh, is really not thought of in quite the same way as it is for a company. And I think it's ripe for um, governments, to be, government regulators to be looking at some of the activity. And therefore, I think it's ripe for uh, nonprofits to reach out and have third-party assessments done of their programs. So, Don, I think one uh, one of the issues around nonprofits, but specifically in education, that is is literally on the minds of of most Americans is the Varsity Blues scandal, and that scandal has many, many, many moving parts. You you articulated some of them, but there are actually even more. But I was wondering if you could maybe help us think through how a third party independent assessment could help a college or a university or perhaps even any of the players that have been caught up in the varsity blue scandal? Well, part of it is to, is to uh, kind of track and have some internal controls for, you know, what's happening. So, I mean, all I know about varsity blue scandal is, is what I read in the newspapers, although the investigation is, is, is emanates from where I'm talking to you from, which is Boston, Massachusetts. It was, it was done by the U S attorney's office and, in, in Boston, my old office. Um, but you know, the, the, the question is if, for example, a, um, you know, a crew coach or, or a tennis coach has, uh, advanced, you know, one or two students because they 
say that they're going to be superstars on their team. You know, what kind of controls exist to assess the credibility of those representations? You know, what what is done uh, after the fact <clears throat> to see whether the admission of certain students for their athletic prowess um, was actually done correctly and has worked? What conflict of interest statements are, are, are requested by people involved in the process to make sure that they aren't receiving outside income um, from other sources. So like, like anything else, you can you know, build a better mousetrap and have some internal controls, which um, provide some risk-based assurance that the program is working correctly. Uh, obviously, at the end of the day, you know, a corrupt individual can seek ways to get around uh, the situation. But the goal here is not to provide a 100% guarantee that you won't have a corrupt employee because that can happen. Uh, the goal is to have a, a risk-based assessment which protects the university and the institution. So I was wondering if uh, there are perhaps some uh, examples you could provide us, Don, in the nonprofit arena outside of the educational space where uh, either a, uh, you came in as a third-party independent or perhaps uh, some other examples. Well, you know, we did some work a couple years ago for a, a large uh, NGO, non-governmental organization that did international work um, and was was received money from USAID and the State Department and other, um, you know, other grantors uh, from the federal federal government, not just our government but other governments as well, and did work in Afghanistan and 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 other hot spots in, in the world. Um, and they, but there were some problems, and we went in. Um, we did this on an international basis. I, I spent some time in Bogota, Colombia, and in and in other parts of the world. And again, the goal is there are some cultural differences depending upon where you are, but the goal is is pretty much the same, which is what kind of program does the does the company have? How do they educate people? What are they educating them about? What's the follow up? What's the testing? Is there a whistleblower program? Um, is there favoritism that's involved? In, in that particular case, for example, it was very much a founder's program. The founders of the NGO were still running it. And, you know, they were running it a little bit like their own personal piggy bank. And that was known to a lot of employees who kind of looked the other way. So they did not have a, a robust internal compliance program. And that's frankly what ultimately became the focus of the, of the government review, which is, uh, you know, you can't run this as a mom and pop show. You got to have a, a, a sort of an official, um, you know, well-oiled compliance program to provide assurance that the federal tax dollars are being well spent. So the uh, one of the things that uh, has been in the news previously over the past several years have been uh, scandals at schools like uh, Michigan State, at Penn State, at Baylor here in Texas. How could uh, a third-party independent uh, come in and help a university either assess their program or maybe even uh, improve it uh, in areas around Me Too or those types of scandals? Well, you know, some of the some of the scandals, for example, with recruitment violations, NCAA recruitment violations, and things like that in the, in the sports arena. You know, I mean, our, our 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 view is that there are common tools and common themes for any good compliance program, and frankly, it doesn't depend 
so much, whether we're talking about environmental controls or, you know, what are the rules of the road for recruitment? You know, the question is, again, question of training, question of oversight, a question of third-party controls and assessment. Um, there are ways to review what employees are doing, um, and, you, and you shouldn't just depend upon, you know, because I said so. So, um, you know, w- w- how is the money being spent? I mean, if, if, if recruitment violations include payment of money to high school athletes, um, that money is, believe me, is not coming out of the pocket of the recruiter. It's somehow coming either directly or indirectly from university coffers. So um, how is that reviewed? How is it controlled? What's the audit trail um, and the like? So, you know, it ranges all the way from <clears throat> financial audit controls to talking to people. Um, you know, you got to talk to the recruiters, you got to talk to the high school athletes, you got to talk to the people who are on the teams. Believe me, if there are problems, people in those situations will know, and the goal is to see if they'll be candid and talk. Well, Don, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but this has just been a fascinating uh, ending episode to our five-part exploration on the benefits of independent monitoring and proactive assessments for defense attorneys, uh, corporations, nonprofits, healthcare providers, and a wide variety of others. I, I really, I've learned a lot in this, and I know our listeners will as well. So thanks so much for taking the time uh, to visit with me over this series. Yeah, great time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, where I hosted Don Stern on the benefits of independent monitoring and proactive assessments for defense counsel in a wide variety of areas. I certainly enjoyed working with Don on this series. He presented lots of great information. If you'd like more information on Don or Affiliated Monitors, please check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. This five-part podcast series has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.